Hey, hey, thanks so much for joining us. That's right, you have tuned into the Peach Pit, and this is a special Peach Pit. This is the Peach Pit Pocket Edition, where we review a mini episode of the Flophouse Podcast, one of their Flophouse minis. As always, I am your host, Stuart Wellington, and today we're going to be talking about Flophouse Mini 67. We're doing a little special here. We're talking about a subsection of that mini episode where they talked about a little movie a gnome named Norm. And joining me, I have some amazing guests. That's right. I have two of the hosts of the Flophouse podcast, oh, wow. Dan McCoy, Elliot Kalen, and returning Flophouse featured guest, Parker Bennett. Thanks so much for joining me in the Peach Pit. <laughs> uh, truly an honor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's always a pleasure to discover that that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> should we refresh our listeners' uh, memories about uh, Parker? Uh about uh, our previous encounter with Mr. Bennett. Uh, sure. It was, it was, so so uh, one of Take the- Take us on a ride. Take us on a ride. Every one of the listeners, <laughs> buckle your, buckle your seatbelts. One of the credited screenwriters for uh, Super Mario Brothers, uh, starring Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. The, the movie, not <laughs> the, the movie. Nintendo game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Parker popped up in our live show for Super Mario Brothers in the chat. And we were uh, shocked uh, and a little bit scared that a, a writer of the movie we were uh, ragging on showed up. But uh, he joined us, uh, talked to us a little bit, could not have been nicer, talked to us again on a mini about more Super Mario Brothers tales. But now it turns I out— feel like you, I feel like you slightly misrepresented the way we talked about Super Mario Brothers because okay. you said that we ragged on it. But I think we all kind of liked it more yeah. than we expected to. No, no, no. That's true. It was, it was fortunate that it was a movie that uh, <laughs> was wild in all the right ways. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say all the way, right ways. It was all wild in a right few ways. ways. No, I don't know if I'd say all the right. You know, it I, just, I will say that a gnome named Norm makes Super Mario Brothers look like Citizen Kane. <laughs> wow! <laughs> now, so so on the box on the box makers of Gnome Name Norm just put dot 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 look like looks like Citizen Kane, and then say Parker Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> now uh, I know Stuart. I'm sorry. I don't want to take over the reins of the Peach Pit. Uh, what is this? Uh, the Peach Pit Return pocket. Po- pocket Edition. Dark, pocket dark edition. Side of the moon. Yeah. Pocket Edition. Yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. He's Stewart's referring to the famous fact that peach bits have pockets in them, mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. a pocket dimension inside of every peach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now I I don't want to steal your your job, but uh, you know Parker. what? That's part of the joy of the peach bit is that any everyone like we're a communal table. Everyone can eat, <laughs> pan quotidian, you know that mm-hmm. kind of thing. You. Uh, Again, this is directed to Parker, not Stuart, host of Peach Bit Pocket Edition. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Parker, now you contacted me uh, and let me know that you had a, a connection to a gnome named Norm. Now, how? what connection is this? What what part did you play in this uh Did this you play film? the part of Norm, the titular <laughs> gnome? Uh, I was involved. So uh, um, I am an uncredited punch-up writer on A Gnome Named Norm. So my writing partner, Terry Runte, and I, uh, right after this, our, our first spec script sale of Mystery Date, uh, we're looking for our next job, and our agent said, hey, there's a movie that's going into production. Would you guys 
be interested in doing a punch-up, doing a joke punch-up. Uh, it's being directed by Stan Winston. And we went, yeah, Stan Winston. He's like, he's amazing. He's the, you yeah. know, guy who Alleged. did all of our special effects. effects. One, one of the handful of greatest special effects artists in the history of movies. I was going Name as far as the to say. others. <laughs> Rick Baker. Uh, Rick Baker. Sure, yep. got to mm-hmm. be there. Ray Harryhausen, got to uh-huh, be on yep. top of that. Tom uh, Savini. Tom Douglas Savini. Trumbull. Yeah, Douglas Trumbull, Dennis Murin. Rob uh, Poutine. Did you uh, say Rob Poutine? Rob Poutine. Rob Poutine. The inventor of Poutine? Bob Botten. <laughs> I don't know. How. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say Stephen Kostansky, director of Psycho Gorman. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, our listener Todd Vaziri has to. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're and and we're barely scratching the surface. There's anyway. There's there's also I forgot the name of the guy who did the, the special effects for the Invisible Man in the 30s. Although I was just reading about him recently, that's an amazing movie to watch again. So anyway, Stan Winston's directing. You said this Hollywood legend. He's going to be directing mm-hmm. this film. Director of Pumpkinhead. Yeah. Well, this this was what? exactly when Pumpkinhead had yet to come out. So we didn't we weren't forewarned. In any way. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard. Well, Pumpkinhead took a while because it's hard to pass a pumpkin head through the birth canal. It's an incredibly <laughs> large head. It t- I, takes a lot of time. That's a C-section you're asking for. I got to say, I, li- I like Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead has its uh, qualities. Yeah, one of those qualities is named Lance Henriksen. <laughs> yeah, I knew true. it. I knew Stuart was going to point to the to the Henrik. <laughs> I... I had to, I got to introduce Pumpkinhead at the Alamo one time, and I was like, I really want to talk about how great Lance Henriksen is, but at the same time, like, I'm very nervous to look up any of his modern political beliefs because he is an old man, and he <laughs> yeah. looks like he might be crotchety and have problems. But I did not look up anything. I love him. I'll keep my head in the Pumpkinhead sand, if you will. <laughs> it also stars the dog from Gremlins, Pumpkinhead. It's Mushroom's Stars? other Stars? <laughs> yeah. well, that's yet second player. lead. It says, it says Lance Henriksen and Mushroom in Pumpkinhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's above the title on the poster. Actually, yeah. or it says, and Mushroom as as Benji at the end. Now, or something I, like that. Par, how do you get into uncredited punch-up work? Because that sounds ideal to me. Yeah, as can, someone yes. who would also get, love to do that. You, yeah, can, you, get, yeah. you can get paid for it, but you don't have to take <laughs> any of the blame for a gnome named Norm. How, how does one do uh, this? I'll try to give you the advice that I give everyone, which is you just have to get lucky. Uh, yeah. Mm. You know, when you mm. when you sell your mm. first script and all your friends go, well, how do you do this? How do you get into break into Hollywood? It's like, well, if you follow our path, we stumbled into an agent who was a book agent of uh, one of our bosses in advertising, and he agreed to represent us on some rewrite job of a thing she was pitching and then he uh, wound up going to triad artists in in L.A. from New York, and we kind of went along in his back pocket, and we wrote a spec script, and he and uh, another agent, so this is Todd Harris and Bruce Kaufman, uh, managed to sell our spec script. But kind of, again, stroke of luck, we had this Writers Guild strike that you know, went on forever, and so there was this huge demand for oh, material. Oh, so th- this right was the big Writers Guild strike in the late '80s, the the real big yeah, one. Yeah, 88, 88, I guess. Okay. Yeah, and so after that happened, they went to work going, you know, here's the new hot advertising. You know, John Hughes. These are the these are similar to John Hughes. Uh, you know, uh, Harold Ramis. These guys are from Chicago, and uh, there's two of them, so two for one. It's a it's a partnership. You can yeah. you can get two for That's one. That's some salesmanship and, right there. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they you know uh, they wrote hey mystery date. They wrote that in like three weeks. So you imagine what they could do for you. 
And they're cheap <laughs> right now. Yeah. <laughs> get, them, get them while they're cheap. So we'd, ca- we'd come out to L.A. to take a bunch of meetings, uh, and this wasn't one of them. So <laughs> later on, we got a call. Hey, you want to do this thing? And I had been uh, a huge special effects nerd for the, you know, forever. Like I read Famous Monsters of Filmland and then Fangoria and then, you know, the big boys, Cinefax. Uh, and uh, so Stan Winston was, you know, like a hero. He at mm-hmm. that point had done The Thing and, uh, you know, Aliens and uh, he'd done, oh, I can't even remember, uh, you know, lots, is, lots of amazing stuff. He hadn't done T2 yet. Is The Thing the best monster effects of all time? I don't know. It's up there, right? It's right. Way, I don't think, there, you can't the qualify. sprouts the spider legs. Oh, and, it's so gross. It's certainly up there. It's, yeah. it's still fucking gross. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So we said, we said uh, yeah, sure. And they, and they said, you know, that'll be, you know, this is great. Two, two weeks of work. At that time, it was 12 grand, which you know, was just like, oh, my God, I would I, I would have paid them to do it. Yeah. Uh, and they flew I'm us out. I'm glad your agent stepped in and stopped you from doing that, I assume. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah he stopped us. Um, <laughs> from, from taking out a loan <laughs> to pay them for a job. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart, I just want to pause for just half a second and let Stuart know that Winston's first op- Oscar nomination was for Heart Beeps. So, Ooh, oh, we're yeah, the Paul, Paul, Schrader. Paul Schrader movie. Yeah, <laughs> no, again, crazy. not a Paul Schrader film, but <laughs> oh man, I'll have to zip over to Facebook and see what Paul S has to say about this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's 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 busy talking about why it's wrong to have any movies in the in the top ten list of all time that aren't a hundred years old. But uh, the the uh, I I at this point, Stuart, it I start believing that. Paul Schrader made heart beeps. <laughs> You've said it so many times now. And I'm like, I guess did he go straight from like American Gigolo to working on pre-production on heart beeps? I guess he did. Guys, I am a I am a perfect example of just manifesting your wish, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Your wish is that he made heart beeps, okay. <laughs> uh, but sorry, I interrupted. Have you guys ever <laughs> gone down the road of like what if Paul Schrader had made Heart beeps? No, that and that's like. a very good question. It's a very sounds, good question. That sounds like the worst, like, most specific 80s stand-up comic. <laughs> you ever wonder if Paul Schrader made heart beeps? I think it would go something like this. We'll go a little something like this. I'm a robot being faced with temptation. <laughs> <laughs> so so they, so they offered they offered you this job. It's an amazing amount of money. This job. It, was our, it was our first you know, it was our first thing to work on that would actually be filmed. Because at the point, you know, at oh, the point when cool. you make a spec sale, you have no idea. It's, and Mystery mm-hmm. Date actually took two and a half years of rewriting before it was turned into sort of a muddled mess. We'd written Mystery Date and we forgot to add a mystery. Mm-hmm. So we'd written this <laughs> yeah. dark comedy. It was basically after hours for teens. And it was just this chaotic, you know, descent into nightmares. This guy trying to make his date go well, but he's being mistaken for his psychopathic yeah. older brother. <laughs> and um, and so we made this really dark comedy, and they Orion wouldn't cop to the fact that they didn't want to make a really dark comedy. So mm-hmm. we kept asking, you know, well, can, is it okay that it's this dark? And our producer would keep saying, well, if you can make it work. And we kept believing her. <laughs> oh, no, that's code. <laughs> uh, 
for about two years, and then we finally gave up and sort of made it all a wacky misunderstanding about the dead body in the trunk because he took the car yeah. without permission, et cetera, et cetera. Ethan Hawke, early Ethan Hawke role. Yes. Recently on a podcast, uh, Disowned. Speaking of Paul Schrader. <laughs> Speaking of Paul Schrader, who made one movie with Ethan Hawke. The famous duo of Ethan Hawke and Paul Schrader. Do you think on the set of Moon Knight, Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac talked about Paul Schrader? I, you, I, better, I, I bet you they did. I bet you they yeah. did. Because what else are they going to talk about on the set of Moon Knight? Not Moon Knight, that's for sure. <laughs> no, certainly I not. It, I don't think anyone was talking about it on the set. Uh -huh. I feel like here's the thing about Oscar Isaac. Then we'll get back to this story, which is more interesting than what I'm going to say. Oscar Isaac has now played two different Marvel characters, and I feel like he is deserving of a better vehicle for him playing a Marvel character. He was Moon Knight and he was Apocalypse, and both those are— and both times I feel like he was not super well served by the material. And, so yeah. who should he play? Huh? Interesting enough— the meeting where Oscar Isaac uh, convinced Ethan Hawke to do the project <laughs> over beers was at the Brooklyn Inn, and my friend was bartending that day and complained wow. that Ethan Hawke didn't pay for his beer. <laughs> <laughs> Burn. Oh, he can get away with it. You know, whatever. Uh, yeah, come on. He's so the Oscar Isaac, he's, who he's, should he's, he play? He's yeah. <laughs> now, let's get back to the story. Okay, well. Listeners, write in. Tell me who should Oscar Isaac play in the Marvel Universe? Mm -hmm. I don't want, and don't tell me like Mort the Dead Teenager. Don't give me the super Z-list characters. Give me, give me a solid character. Let's let's give the card counter himself the proper respect. Just wait a minute. What if Marvel introduced a character called the card counter? The card counter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so mystery date's taking forever. Stan Winston's going to direct a gnome named Gnorm, and you're gonna and you're gonna be brought into the project to give it that Bennett Sparkle. Right. Bennett Runte Sparkle. I think uh, <laughs> at this point, well, yeah, I'm I mean, steadfastly— you can take all the credit. He's not here. <laughs> I've, I've uh, managed to to put off talking about a gnome named Norm. I guess it's probably time. Uh, <laughs> so we showed up in in L.A. to to do this work, and Pumpkinhead was premiering. Uh, so we, we got to meet Stan at the premiere oh, of Pumpkinhead at the Cinerama Dome. Oh, cool. Oh, man. Think of that red carpet. All, all the celebs. The sky was dark. <laughs> all the stars were there. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we, were not, we were not knocked out by Pumpkinhead. We were not big fans. We were a little perturbed by Pumpkinhead uh, walking out and kind of wondering, you know, what are we going to say to Stan? And Terry's like, you're going to have to lie. And <laughs> like, that that was not a good movie. And, and you're going to have to lie a lot better than that. And, uh, but our agent was with us, and he said, no, 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 you don't have to lie. This is this is how it works. In, in Hollywood, you have to master the 100% noncommittal, you know, phrasing after a, something that you don't want to comment on. So that, You walk out and you go, what a movie, or something like that. Like... <laughs> There, yeah, he he gave us a lot of those examples, like you know, only you. And, uh, <laughs> That's like my it's grandmother all used up to there tell me on about, the screen. <laughs> it's all, it my grandmother used to tell is. me about how she would if it, she uh, would people show her if people showed her their babies and she thought the baby was ugly, she would go, "It's a baby." Oh. <laughs> she couldn't bring herself to say, "Oh, what a cute baby!" If she's really pure. Factual statement with no value <laughs> judgment. <laughs> uh, but luckily for us, we didn't have to master the non hundred percent non-committal non-compliment uh, because Stan was, you know, he was surrounded by swarms of 
of uh, supplicants, and we just waved and uh, went on, went our way. Uh, we met with him in his cool north. At this point, it was in Northridge. He had his his workshop. Uh, I think it was Northridge. That and, sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, and it's designed to impress. Like you walk in, and there's the power loader from aliens, you know, in, and the mm-hmm. giant alien queen hovering over it. Uh-huh. And oh, you expect the, the fog machine yeah, yeah. To, to start any minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's a big sign that's like, come inside, you bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Various uh, predators are, are, you know, spaced around and uh, the thing, the, the head from the thing. And, wow. Now, and when you say predators, like, you mean living Pre- you mean living big cats that yeah. Sam Winston like to have to keep his workers on their toes? Like, yeah. they get this ready and a, j- a jaguar might leap at you at any moment. Uh-huh. Or do you mean the, the predator, they, the, they the special docile, effects character? They seem docile, but no, I meant the special effects from the movie. Oh, that uh-huh. makes sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a, f- a framed copy of the Ice Cube album, Predator. <laughs> multiples, multiples. Because that yeah. Predator is a movie that Stan Winston basically saved. Because I don't know if you guys have ever seen the footage of, before of the early alien costume that they were going to like mad out, and it looks so goofy. It's like a, it's like Big Bird is 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 taking down the the, the mercenaries one by one, and then they had to reshoot it now with a much better costume. Guys, it's worth looking into the history of Jean Claude Van Damme in his one day playing the Predator uh, with this goofy costume on. I got to break in for the traditional, of course, uh, this will be peppered with Stan Winston, Winston facts. Oh, in as always. <laughs> in 1983, Winston designed the Mr. Roboto face mask for the American oh, rock right. group Sticks. I forgot he did that for their like yeah. their, their like album movie that they made. Yeah, so look not out for des- another Not a design that really, not a design that holds up well. It's, <laughs> no. it's kind of a racist caricature of uh, a Japanese I do, I do, person. I do, I do have, have to say – I just Googled original Predator costume, and the first image is a sexy Velma costume. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's the thing. Originally, it was a sexy Velma was taking down the mercenaries. Probably should log out of my account before I do these (laughs) things. So Stan Winston's workshop, it sounds like, is an amazing wonderland of our favorite film monsters and and creatures. So this is, you know, as as anybody who's been – involved in the entertainment industry there's it's sort of a bipolar experience where there's very there's highs and there's lows and they sort of you know uh whiplash between them so kind of a high like we're in this workshop and there's all these great things and the work workers are working and and then Stan wants is so excited to show us the work in progress the maquette of the gnome and he's very, very, very excited because he want, he's going to design something that is so unhuman-like that it's impossible that it could be a guy in a suit. Like, so he's very excited about this. Well, it's going to be this million-dollar articulated animatronic puppet thing. And, you know, it's going to be very convincing and nobody will, you know, it's, the body's going to be super skinny and the head's going to be kind of long and extended and there's no way that anybody could mistake this for a guy a little guy in a suit so uh-huh. that was his motivation and then he showed us this thing and it it looked like a drowned rat <laughs> it was it was this sort of elongated yeah ratty face but with- but was there any thought in your mind that it could be a guy in a suit <laughs> <laughs> yeah check um, 
because <laughs> it sounds like the mission was accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Now, look, it, it, it had this weird, uncanny, I, I don't want to say valley, but because it was bigger than a valley. It was it was like a, like a blast radius of, of uncanniness <laughs> that was— that was like the eyes were not real, but the teeth looked like they were just dentures uh, that were put in, and uh, and and it was big ears. It it was not cute. I was a little worried right away yeah. that this was not going to be a character that endeared itself to the audience. You're saying Sam Winston was so focused on whether he could do it, he never asked whether he should do it. Yeah, I, I think that's it. And then when you look at the movie, there's plenty of like guys in suits. Like you got like yeah, I assumed it was a lot a of just close-ups yeah. of of you know of 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 gnome feet and it's not clearly some person <laughs> in a suit walking yeah. around. I I haven't seen a gnome named Norm. I have I definitely checked out some of the trailer and scenes after we discussed it uh on the flop house, and I was struck by how defiantly uncute it is like Stan Winston really just like even though this is kind of ostensibly a, a family film he's like okay but I'm gonna make a real creature here <laughs> it's just gonna be living <laughs> next to Anthony Michael Hall and it was very disturbing yeah it's a it's a it really seems like that he took the Gelflings from Dark Crystal yes. And was like, how do we make them scary? <laughs> like, how do we make them something that if a kid saw it under their bed, they would die of a heart attack? <laughs> well, I think that this has always been the the um, the the tension. I think uh, of our dark sensibilities and our wanting to do something more adult, and the fact that the source material sort of bends itself into kid territory. Uh, is also present in Super Mario Brothers. So we, you know, we did yep. this kind yeah. of weird, yeah. dark, twisted thing that was, you know, this parallel world where everything's really uh, violent and and uh, reptilian. And and here we we added a lot of things that shouldn't be in a kid's movie. We have like a, a chase with a hearse and a, you know, guy, a dead body falls out of the casket. And mm, someone tries to give it mouth to mouth. And Looking at the cast list on Wikipedia, it does mention that there's an actress who just plays stripper, which is not usually mm. something you see in a kid's movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, you know, and, and back I should go back to it's, talk it's about this. It's also amazing. Wait, I should mention from the cast list, there's a character named Zadar, but it's not played by Robert Zadar. Robert Zadar mm -hmm. plays a different character. <laughs> so it seems like a missed opportunity. <laughs> Robert Siddharth plays Reggie. But sorry, but you're saying, so, okay. <laughs> this. Um, what was I saying? Well, well so I, wanted, curious, I wanted to I, mention this. So we, we didn't write this script. This well, that's, a script I was curious yeah. about that. How much, how much of the script was written when it got to you and what shape was it in and that kind of thing? Yeah, what were Yeah, so this was, this was ready to go. They were, you know, they were filming. They were building, you know, sets and designing gnomes. And uh, they had yet to cast it at this point when we came in. Uh, but they were, like, they had a start date. So uh, I think they might have had Jerry Orbach uh, already cast. Mm -hmm. And I think he, he might have been excited. Like, he plays his first, possibly his first villain. I don't know. But he's like, you know, he's the standard cop. He's character. kind of a villainous character in the, in the original off-Broadway run of The Fantastics, I guess. He's sort of a con <laughs> man. So I don't know if he has an out-and-out -out villain. You know, there's something kind of whimsical about him. And in the end, he does help bring the lovers together. But I, you're right. Yeah, this is more of, a, more of a villainous role than that one. 
The credited and, and writers uh, have credits uh, on uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves as uh, screenwriters. Well, they went on uh, to write and produce Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. Yeah. I think Backdraft was maybe in their, they were involved with that. Too. Oh, yeah. And now I'm looking at this now. I, Jerry Orbach, his character name is Captain Stan Walton. I wonder if that was confusing on the set to have a Stan Winston and a Stan Walton in the same place. Mm. And a Zadar and a Zadar. There's so many. So the movie many should be about all the, mis, the, the goofy mix-ups on the set of a known name Norm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I can sure only imagine if you scroll down Robert... and look at the goofs, uh, you know. <laughs> That'll, that'll be in there. <laughs> imagine if Robert Zadar showed up to Zadar's trailer. Like, imagine opening the door and Robert Zadar's there. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's bringing Zabar's with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just because he was so thoughtful, you know. Yeah, uh, he had a he had a heart as big as his face. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, so, so, so I think when I, it's hard to remember because I didn't want to dig into the box that's you know four layers deep sure. in an attic somewhere to to find yeah. the script. We appreciate but, uh, that for this episode of the Peach Pit Pocket Edition, you didn't go into your archives. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would have been too um, much. But I, I have a feeling that I, it, it, vaguely in the back of my mind, because it was 30 years ago, uh, I think Pendentium had written sort of a serious-minded, you know, like it was, he took it very seriously. Pendentium was, uh, and John Watson are both British, and mm-hmm. Penn um, is a little bit elven uh, he's got a sort of, uh, he's got a sort of that, that elf, elfish quality to him. Uh, and I think he, he related a little more seriously to creating the backstory of this gnome's world and they needed to get the lumen to bring it to the surface, to gather the sunlight, to bring down to the world. And so we were brought in to basically undo all of that and make it jokey, mm. uh, <laughs> and probably for the better. Um, given that the gnome was not very convincing. Yeah. So you're so your first like when you first approached a screenplay, you were you were brought in to punch it up. Was it like joke free or were the jokes just not working? What's going on? It was uh as I recall, it was pretty joke free. It was like joke light at any rate. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we do with at that, you know, in that era, the first thing you do is you turn your lead character into Bill Murray. Mm, so we yeah. we did that. Uh, that makes it's like the way the way now. It, pretty much every lead character becomes Chris Pratt at a certain point in the process. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. Again, the Super Mario connection. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's just natural casting. All, yeah, <laughs> all roads lead back to uh, Bowser's castle. <laughs> well, he built them. It makes sense. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so we we wrote it sort of like you know like a wise wise acre wise cracking you know laid back kind of smooth talking detective young detective and uh, about a I guess maybe three or four days into our process they cast Anthony Michael Hall mm. as the lead mm-hmm. and we were hopeful but dubious yeah um, we had actually. Met Anthony Heichel Hall. We were, we were trying to get jobs at Saturday Night Live a few years, like maybe five years before, and uh, had visited the set. And it was the year that it imploded, essentially. Like, like they, this was the year they, they wound up firing everybody in the cast. So it was good we didn't get the job because – and – Al Franken stole some of our stuff. It was not a good experience. Um, stole some of your material, or stole like things, or in like the box your stuff. Like no, like out of our car. It was. It was. 
I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's too broad a word, but we had we had come up with a sketch idea called That Black Girl that we wanted Denise Trevance uh-huh. to do because she was a fellow Chicagoan, a fellow as someone from Second City that we knew. Uh-huh. And uh, we pitched this idea to her and she, like maybe three weeks later, it was on the air <laughs> that she and Al Franken decided that that was a good idea. That's because I was he was a guest on The Daily Show once when I was a production assistant and I made a remark backstage that then he used a variant of in the interview and I was like, wait a minute. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So he's, wow. And he I, went on, I think it just he went on to, to a political career with no issues, right? He is now no a issue. very he successful continues, continues to remain in the Senate. No issues at all with boundaries that had to, that he had to deal with. Uh by the way, I mean there are no goofs for a gnome named Norm or this is a perfect movie. Goofs. But uh <laughs> Go- there is, there's no ganoofs. But uh, there's trivia. Filmed in 1988, received limited release in 1990, pulled from circulation and re-released in 92. I assume like the Manchurian Candidate, that was because of the Kennedy assassination that there was that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they remembered they remembered the Kennedy assassination and then they wanted to re-release it on the 29th anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> You probably already have a favorite animal. Maybe it's a powerful apex predator like the tiger or a cute and cuddly panda. And those are great, but have you considered something a little more unconventional? Could I perhaps interest you in the Greenland shark, which can live for nearly 400 years? Or maybe the jewel wasp who performs brain surgery on cockroaches to control their minds? On Just the Zoo of Us, we review animals by giving them ratings out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Listen with friends and family of all ages to find your new favorite animal with Just the Zoo of Us on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Hello, I'm a stuffy dowager countess. Travis? I'm judging everybody's manners. Oh, no. Schmanners isn't judgy. It's about teaching you to be your best self and be a little more confident when you enter social situations that you don't understand, and maybe also teach you a little bit about history you didn't know or give you interesting things to talk about at parties. Yeah, like The Secret Life of Emily Post. Or like why wristwatches are the way that they are. We can talk about table manners from the Victorian era. Sure, or what it's like to attend a Regency ball. Yeah. Uh, You can find all that and more if you listen to Schmanners on Maximum Fun or wherever your podcasts come from, I guess. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? So you've probably heard about microdosing, probably on this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, you're a listener of this podcast. You've probably heard about microdosing from me. Dan, if not, just know that all sorts of people are microdosing daily to feel healthier and perform better. And our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. What's the right amount of good? I don't know. Maybe you want to calm down, chill out, relax. Those are all kind of synonyms, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, sleep a bit better, get a bit of a creative boost, maybe get a bit of a mood elevation. These are all things that I've experienced with LumiLab's microdose gummies. And uh, microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code FLOP, that's F-L-O-P, to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, 
That is microdose.com code flop. And also the flop house is sponsored in Spart in Spart. Well, in Sparta, maybe? Let's look at let's look at the map. See what whether we're sponsored in Sparta. No, we're we're sponsored in part by Squarespace. What is Squarespace? Well, my friend, it is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, your products, content you create, and even your time. Not in the in time, you know, Justin Timberlake sort of way. You're saying that, you know, you're selling... Uh, uh, your time to someone to do something with you, you get you get the idea. Sell your products in an online store. You can uh, sell physical or digital products. Either way, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. You can create pro level videos effortlessly. No effort here. The Squarespace Video Store app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales. And you know what you can do? You can displace. Display posts from your social profiles on your website. Automatically push website content to your favorite social media channels so your followers can share it too. So why not go to squarespace.com flop for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code flop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So I did want to mention, Dan, that I envy you that you have not seen a gnome named Norm. I tried to watch it again and uh, really couldn't make it through it. It was it's not a good movie. I mean, I'll tell you, out of the the three of us, I'm the one most likely to go out and seek it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I haven't escaped yet, but that's my own fault. That's uh, well, I my urge you and all of the listeners to just know it ahead of time. This is a bad, bad movie. <laughs> okay, uh, and this and not no amount of no amount of convincing people is going to work. Elliot has done a presentation on the movie Nuki like mm-hmm. forty times, and every time I see him do this fucking thing, people come up to him afterwards and are like, "I can't wait to watch it." <laughs> and the <laughs> whole point, the whole point the whole of the presentation point. is don't watch that movie. Is that yeah. it's a it's the second worst movie I've ever seen. And, but it, I used to, when I used to, every post, time, every time people are like, yeah, yeah, that's going to be hilarious. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's it's the good not. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's the, that's the pure stuff. I used to, I used to host a screening series in New York in a movie theater there. And I would be like, this is a great movie. You've never seen it. It's really fantastic. You're going to love it. And I'd get minimal audiences. But if I was like, this movie is trash, it is <laughs> the worst thing I would sell out. And it was just like. <laughs> There's, there's a certain type of person yeah, who's yeah, really drawn line, to junk. Line around the block, yeah. yeah. Food fight. <laughs> food yeah. fight, yep. If we, th- we could, I bet we could sell out a screening of food fight. Oh, could, of course we could. I mean, <laughs> we, we routinely stuff. sell out sure. shows that we do. So I think uh, hopefully it's becoming more for us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You added food fight to the mix. Yeah, We'd yeah. Be unstoppable. <laughs> Put us in uh, yeah, Madison Square Garden. We're selling <laughs> it out. Mm-hmm, finally. So, so well, the, gnome named Norm. They had, okay, they had put yeah, us up. Uh, we we were in a. Uh, we asked to be put up near the ocean because we're from Chicago, mm-hmm. and they put us in the shoddy yeah. Holiday Inn in Santa Monica. 
Yeah. So they, they were like, technically, you're near the ocean. And did yeah. you see it? Did you look at it and you went, that's the biggest lake I ever seen. And then, <laughs> and then the bellhop had to be like, no, no, it's not a lake. It's actually an ocean. And you went, wow. <laughs> well, I don't know if you have experienced this, but coming from Chicago, the first time you hit L.A., it's like, it's prehistoric. Like there's these huge palm trees and spiky plants and there's it's very alien looking com- coming from the Midwest where you have. I, yeah, I feel yeah. like even, even coming from the East Coast, yet yeah, like I've, I've lived in L.A. for five years now. And when I'm driving, it'll suddenly hit me that these enormous mountains are everywhere around me. And it just yeah. strikes. And I'm suddenly I'm like, what is this? Am I am I in the Bronx? Is there <laughs> going to be a rumble? But like the, but it's just just the fact that I'm surrounded. You're surrounded by this this topography that is constantly reminding you how small you are, which really helps the studios when they're dealing with us as, as writers, that, that, that they, the very geography is reminding us that we're nothing. We're less than nothing. But yeah, it's a, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just, a, it feels like a different world when you come into it. Yeah. And also if you're from the East Coast or Chicago, it's like there's architecture there. Uh, things that were built before 1950. Mm. So yeah. it's, there's, it's a very, it was a very alien place that it actually took us a long time to consider moving out here, and uh, Terry never got the chance, but I did, mm-hmm. and uh, did it too late. Don't uh, for all of you listening who want a career in Hollywood, come to Hollywood. Don't try to do it from Chicago. Only we were convinced, like, oh well, you know, there's Harold Ramis and John mm-hmm. John Hughes and Tim Kazarinsky. There's people doing it from Chicago, and we thought we could do it, but turns out not. Uh, anyway, Tim Kazarinsky uh, stole your stole your chance. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> we uh, started in on uh, Bill Murraying up the character and uh, putting a little romance in and uh, between uh, tr- between him and the the gnome, right? Between him and <laughs> yeah, Michael Hall and the gnome. <laughs> I, think I think there's sort of some implied, for- you know, you don't tension. I mean, yeah, it was pulled yeah, from circulation tension. because the sex scene was deemed too graphic. <laughs> That's, yep. that's it. That's why it was pulled from 1990 to ni- 1992. <laughs> yeah. They had to wait yeah. for. They were like, "It's not technically the 90s yet. People aren't ready yeah, for yeah. it." And then the culture 90s hit. culture hasn't <laughs> caught up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we we wrote a bunch of things in that were just supposed to be insouciants and you know uh, have a the character would come in like when he's introduced he would come in sort of you know breeze in he's everyone he's late and he's going to miss this mess up this big gig and. And they're going to hand it over to his rival, Kaminsky. Um, and he, like, shows up at the very last minute and sort of walks by Kaminsky. And Kaminsky's grabbed a, a candy bar out of the vending machine. And, and he's supposed to pluck it out of his pocket with, you know, flair and say, oh, good, my Zagnut bar. And so, first of all, Stan, Stan wanted us to change it because he'd never heard of a Zagnut bar. <laughs> uh, so we weren't we weren't aware that this was a Midwest thing and not a West Coast thing, um, and so he was like, you know, this I've never heard of this thing, and I don't we don't even know where to get them, and uh, you should change this to a Snickers. And Terry and I were like, no, 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 no. Let us teach you about comedy, Snickers, <laughs> despite being actually a word that means laughter. Is not a funny word. Even though it has the hard K sound, it sounds like product yeah. placement. Yeah. But Zagnut, that's a, that's a goofy candy bar. So we called the, uh, he said, nah, nah. We, Terry called the 
Leaf Candy Company in Chicago and told them what we were trying to do. And they sent two cases of Zagnath oh, bars shit. to us. Yeah. Nice. Now he's got no but, excuse. I was hoping they wanted that he those Reese's it. Pieces money. They, they'd seen the, the ET thing go down. <laughs> yep. Sorry, what I was saying? hoping you were going to say that uh, that he called the Supreme Court, and <laughs> and and Justice Thurgood Marshall was like, "No, Zagnut is funnier. I decree. I rule." <laughs> <laughs> but so so, we, so, di- so did it get it? Did the bars get in now that they had the cases there? Well, we got the cases, and then we we went around because we were pranksters at that time, being young. We put them in various spots where Stan would run, would like stumble over them <laughs> for days. <laughs> So we, they were in his desk drawer and in his coat pocket and in his script binder and in the bookshelves. And <laughs> so he would literally for days be, be running into Zagnut bars. And they've got a bright orange wrapper with a like, yeah. big Zagnut thing on it. And he finally relented. And yes, <laughs> like, I didn't not only did it make a naturally it, occurring candy bar. It's everywhere. <laughs> uh, not only did our beloved Zagnut bar make it into the movie— uh, it's actually the last shot of the movie, which today would have been a mid-credit sequence, but it's the rival character oh. with, like, a, a pile of Zagnut bar wrappers at his feet, and the cleaning lady is, like, annoyed picking them up, and he's stuffing another one in his mouth. Uh, so, yes, Zagnut bars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, of course, they got that huge bump from a gnome named Norm. <laughs> the Zagnut <laughs> yeah, bar yeah. became in, the biggest. In, inspired a bit in Beetlejuice, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. When when we were all done, uh, they, there was still like a, an entire case of Zagnut bars uh, that we and we had driven. So we so this is the other thing when you're a young screenwriter is they we had worked into the deal. We get unlimited, you know, we get an unrestricted first class plane ticket out to L.A. And so we immediately cashed those in and then drove from Chicago to L.A. in Terry's 1957 Dodge Cornette. And and so we were driving back with this case of Zagnut bars, and we we were literally Johnny Zagnut bar. Every truck stop, every bar, every restaurant, every place we went, we just, like, handed out this coconut-crusted goodness. Wow. People were very confused. So you did a you did a real public service. I was worried that you were gonna say you cashed in the plane tickets and then spent it all on Zagnut bars so you'd have something to eat on the drive. <laughs> and then you get to LA and suddenly you're overwhelmed with Zagnut bars. Oh, you could have saved that money. And this is why there's so many uh Zagnut bar trees uh between <laughs> yeah. LA and Chicago. Because mm-hmm. of the propagation. But it, it has to be said that Stan, you know, he was he learned and and then he turned around and he taught us some stuff too. So we were young screenwriters and he, you know, had some experience in the business. So he w- helped us understand a little bit about like how to write uh, a car chase that he could film. Like we'd written a really funny car chase with yeah. a hearse and a bunch of jokes about the the line of cars that were following the hearse being turned into a police chase because Anthony Michael Hall jumps into the hearse, commandeers the hearse. And then, you know, the, all of the mourners that are following have to, you know, go super fast down the streets of L.A. following this hearse. But we'd written in, in such a way that uh, it wouldn't cut together. Like we had, uh, we wanted the, the uh-huh. uh, I think we wanted the, the coffin to fall out on a bridge and then like tip, teeter over the bridge and then tip over. And 
it was stuff that he he basically sat us down and showed us like, well, here this wouldn't cut with this. That and sounds great. So it was kind of you know mm. kind of kind of a good little learning lesson. We were we were in our twenties. We needed we needed to know stuff. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the gnome was not convincing. We weren't on set, so we didn't see it be not convincing. Uh, we were in the <laughs> the horrid Holiday Inn, uh, but they asked us to stick around for another week. And so our, uh, we said, well, we'll stick around for another week. They wanted us to do it for no money, which I was all for. And our agents were like, no, no, no. Gano money. <laughs> no with a G. It's just like Gano money. And norm. Yeah, yeah. Gano money. That's, no, it's that, not. That's, it's, very, it's amazing how it, it, they, that's still how Hollywood still continues to want people to do things for no money. <laughs> They're like, hey, we, we want to do a little bit of extra work for us, but guess what? Here's the fun part. You're doing it for free. You're going to enjoy there's this. A, there's a little twist on it. <laughs> well, the uh, film, because filmmaking studios are charitable organizations, no, exactly. right? Well, they according to their ledger uh, sheets, no, they don't. Profits, um, it's all. Oh, who was it? Who wrote Men in Black and uh, and every year tweets about his. Ed, Shane Black. Ed Solomon? Yep. Is that. Who did it? Okay. Oh, Men in Black. Uh, yeah, Ed Solomon. Yeah. Yeah, well, Co writer of Super Mario Brothers. Oh, right, right, right. That's right. And every year he tweets about uh, how Men in Black, according to the reports sent in by the studio, still has yet to make a profit. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's right. I forgot he was also – that's right. You were telling us at the time – you were telling us when we talked about Super Mario Brothers about how he uh, – about the stuff that he had he had done on that. Anyway, uh, it, all roads lead back to Super Mario Brothers. This is really amazing. It's yeah. really the the central cultural moment of the 20th century. I think it's clear. It's a nexus. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So we we were uh, we were moved. We we our agent negotiated a little more money for us, and we got moved to the Hotel Shangri La, which is actually right on the beach, which is was nice. Although our room, of course, did not face the beach; it was facing yeah. in inward. But and yeah, it so there had the my, ice machine in it. The the windows actually opened onto a hallway. <laughs> <laughs> inside the hotel. <laughs> they were just posters of windows. <laughs> I keep imagining like a like a Groucho in A Night at the Opera where everybody else has these big suites and he goes to his room and it's like there's a cot and there's pipes going through the walls and things like that. Uh, <laughs> so they, they put you up at the Shangri-La, finally. The Shangri-La, and the first night there, Terry goes to the bar and he picks up some dancer, uh, mm -hmm. professional dancer, and has sex with her on the rooftop while I'm writing gnome jokes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the life of a comedy writer, right, guys? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so Terry's sort of like the, the Stuart uh, Wellington of our, <laughs> our group. I'm more of a combination of Elliot and Dan. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so we uh, stayed another week. Uh, the uh, office assistant we'd befriended, Kehlani, uh, was lovely, and uh, we hung out with her. She's a sort of Polynesian, uh, Hawaiian-born office assistant. Uh, she had an adorable daughter, and we would hang out at her apartment. And then she wanted to show us her screenplay. So we <laughs> just learned right away, like, let's go back to Chicago where not everyone is working on a yeah. Every, Everyone's working on a meat sandwich of some kind. And they're always like, yeah, yeah, now we're friends. <laughs> Let me show you this meat sandwich I've been working on. Give me your notes on this. You think, you, the, you, think you show this to the right people? In, <laughs> in all honesty, that meat sandwich is probably more exciting than most screenplays. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. That was a, that was a, good, uh, that was a good book, uh, Notes on a Meat Sandwich. <laughs> mm hmm <laughs> 
Uh, it's much better than that movie Hands on a Meat Sandwich where they, <laughs> whoever holds their hand on the sandwich the longest gets it. But by that point, do you really want that sandwich? Just sitting out yeah. for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Hands on a hard meat sandwich because it's stale. <laughs> so then the only other, I think, big contribution I made to the lore of A Gnome Named Norm was um, I wrote the joke that the G in, in Gnome is not silent. You did? It's Gnome. Yeah, that was me. Uh, and then there was some confusion <laughs> about the name, and then it was, no, it's Gnorm, and Anthony Michael Hall insists it's silent, and the gnome says, no, it's Gnot, and that was me, um, and okay. it's a, an echo of a joke I would write later that Mario's last name is, of course, Mario, because Mario, Mario, it's yeah. the Mario Brothers. Which became canon, yeah. Yeah, no small contribution, that's pretty amazing. I I like that you were directly responsible for people tweeting at Elliot to correct him <laughs> that the, the gnome in uh, a gnome yeah. named Norm is it's pronounced Gnorm and mm-hmm. Gnome. So Dan likes to sick his <laughs> legion of followers. On I us. Didn't sick anyone. I'm just I just I just love imagining that unwittingly. <laughs> Parker is set into motion many yeah. years later. People tweeting at Elliot to tell him that he's mispronouncing the things in a movie that he's never seen that <laughs> On purpose, uh, are yeah. mispronounced truly, within the movie. Yeah, yeah. So there was no possible way. Yeah, yeah. Like Elliot, Elliot was probably having a hard day. Maybe he was dealing with some family stuff, some work stuff. Uh-huh. And he's like, look, I'm going to relax a little. I'm going to turn to my refuge, mm-hmm, yeah. Twitter. He opens <laughs> yeah, it sure. up. Oh, I have some notifications. Perhaps I should look at these. Looks Not, at them. Or should I call them good notifications for no reason in particular? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not since uh, A Sound of Thunder has, as a small incident in the past, re- reaped such <laughs> horrifying consequences in the future. Oh, uh, that's <sighs> lovely. Um, so, uh, takeaways. Take, uh, takeaways from this experience. <laughs> I forgot well, you were hosting I, I, an episode of The Peach Fits, too. <laughs> If, if we come back to talking with- about this episode, when I come back to talk about the thief and the cobbler, mm-hmm. uh, are we going to talk about this episode and it'll be the peach pit <laughs> pocket pocket? Mm. Mm. <laughs> this isn't Probably. the question section of the podcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that is. I mean, I do. Thief have, and the cobbler. Yeah, I am very curious about your work on the thief and the cobbler. I saw. I saw you worked on that, and I'm. Uh, that's like. I feel like for years I grew up hearing about that as like the you know the the legendary you know the legendary missing work basically you know yeah uh, I I you, feel like I'm cursed in some yeah, ways. Yeah, I was to, about to say you're like the zealot of ill-fated projects. <laughs> it seems like I'm the like almost the mascot of the Flophouse screenwriter potentially. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, so you know the the thief and the cobbler is another whole story, but basically it was. It's a tragic story. I'm a huge Richard Williams fan. Uh, Jake Eberts, who produced Super Mario Brothers, one of the producers of Super Mario Brothers, uh, asked us, kind of begged us. Like, he, the movie had gone into, uh, it, it was taken away from from Richard Williams. He'd kind of gone nuts and uh, wasn't finishing it. So the completion bond company took it over, and they were redoing a Canadian animator it was going to sort of finish it up so they could release something. But Disney, we, we you should, know, we Disney should say for anyone who's in, not familiar with it, we should say that Thief and the Cobbler is, it's an animated film that is, the animation it is, is astounding. Like it's, it's gorgeous to look at. And, but yeah, did he, did, did he try to do it all by himself or was it that 
it was just too too ambitious the way he they were trying or I don't know. I don't think he well he he had a very uh, you know at the time there was more experimentation going on in animation and he I think he had a sort of you know yellow submarine idea where it was going to be really super trippy and mm-hmm. uh, his idea was there would be no dialogue and the the character was named the the cobbler had a tack in his mouth and he would just sort of the tack would sort of move up and down and I don't know if he was going to do like peanuts trombones or I don't know what his thought was, but he he wanted to have basically this rich visual tapestry experience and it would fold in on itself and these crazy, you know, use all of the Arabian uh, artwork uh, kind of sensibilities. And, uh, and he designed these amazing uh, tank-like uh, constructions that were like sort of um, steampunk before steampunk. And, um, Mm -hmm. so he did all of this amazing work, but it just was like half done or three quarters done. And, and he just kind of, I don't know, he couldn't, he couldn't get it finished and the completion bond company took it away. We didn't know any of this. So again, we're like sort of the, our hapless heroes, you know, Jake, who we liked, we loved, you know, he he was very kind gentleman. He said, you know, I really need somebody. We're going to add dialogue. We've, we've hired the guys from Disney, you know, to write the songs at Howard Ashman and um, whoever he was partnered with. I think it was somebody different on this one. But anyway, uh, you know, we need some, we need to have some dialogue and and can you help us out? And of course, we were going to help our friend. And we didn't realize we were ruining, <laughs> you know, this vision oh. of oh. this visionary animator. Um, so, yeah. Um, so yeah. now I don't need if, to come back. This is great. If people don't <laughs> no, we can figure out another reason. If, if people don't know Richard Williams, so, uh, like, uh, most famously, he was the animation director for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But he was sort of a legendary uh, animator. But I didn't realize this yet. It says that on the trivia on IMDb that it, it holds the record for the longest production schedule of a completed feature movie, 28 years. Wow. So at a certain wow. point, it's uh, at a certain point, it, I guess it makes sense they took away. Oh, that's too bad. Well, uh, Hollywood, you've, you've heard it. We've got we've, we've to get this man on a movie that wins a lot of Oscars so he can come back and talk to us about that. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, I, I think what I what I take away from a gnome named Norm is that, well, it was it was definitely a worthwhile experience for a young screenwriter to have some experience, like to work with Stan Winston, to work on an actual production, to to experience, you know, sort of that pressure and the 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 shoddy Holiday Inn, um, <laughs> and and it was a time that I kind of miss when the effects were required more suspension of dis- of disbelief. Like you couldn't, lit- like now today, you could literally just put anything on the screen and computers can make it happen. And now AI will probably take it from here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the time it was like, you had to be ingenious and Stan was ingenious, you know? So he had, he, he failed in this particular <laughs> instance to to translate his genius to to the gnome puppet, uh, I think the character design let him down. Uh, I don't know if that was him or someone else, but but you know they they had. If you look at the credits, there's like a team of thirty or forty puppeteers making this gnome puppet happen, and you know at times it's pretty convincing, at other times it's just 
Oh my God! What is that? Yeah. Get it away! Yeah. My eyes! Oh. Yeah, I know. Let me look not at the screen for a minute. <laughs> I mean, um, but even that, even that could be seen as a uh, being too successful, maybe with his, like you're saying, with the design, like his original intention of, I want this to be impossible for anyone to think it was ever a human, and uh, maybe that was too far in the yeah. in the wrong direction. Since yeah. it seems like you could probably get away with a gnome that was just like a person with longer years no i think i mean i, th I think what, what i'm taking from what you're saying is that there was uh there was a time where special effects required a lot more uh like workarounds and some clever fixing and it seems like it required a certain art in order to be able to sell the idea of something um and I think I think there's a lot of directors and special effects teams who are doing some really interesting work now, but there's also there's a lot of people working in big films who are just like, okay, yeah, we'll just let computers figure it all out, and it shows. Because yeah, and well, because also they, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of producers and directors who are like, uh, yeah, yeah, the computers will handle that, and don't realize that it means a team of human beings working very long hours yes. uh, up to the last minute to get it done. Like, whereas when you can see a physical thing, I'm sure a producer could be like, Stan, we need this done by this date. And he could point to a puppet and be like, well, we got to finish making this work. And they'd be like, yeah, okay. I can see that it's a real actual object. Like let's that, that human hands are building. Whereas now it's easy to forget that it's still people doing the work at least. Yeah. Until the AI steps in and they can yeah. finally make everything well look super smooth and kind of lit as if it's not quite dark and not quite light uh and people don't have cores <laughs> anymore yeah well we also i mean we're perfect world the thing with i mean like the fact that computers can literally do anything given you know an, enough well, time and ingenuity you say, like you say computers can do literally anything could a computer build a rock that was too heavy even for a computer okay, to lift? Not, not that that's actually a really good question it, it could render a rock that can they can, be. because computers can point. render whatever, I do think that a lot of people are just like, okay, because they can do whatever, then that's the answer to everything rather than being like a a bunch of different techniques uh maybe are the are is the way to go. Like not like I don't I don't want the image. I uh, aforementioned Todd Vaziri to come out of the computer and slap me. It's too I'm late. Not, he's already mad at us. I'm he's not, a, yeah, he's already lawnmowered manned into our <laughs> podcast and he's slapping you. I'm just saying that, like, clearly, like, uh, yeah. uh, you know, a grab bag of techniques sometimes is yes. is the answer. And when there's, like, a when, – when directors think that there's a magic wand, then they can, like, get into trouble because they don't understand what might look best, you know. Um, well, I, I would say that often the creative constraints help out a creative project. Like if you are restrained by a budget or you're restrained by it has to be a practical effects, you get clever. You get more creative with it. Um, in the case of no, a gnome named Norm, not. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's possible. It's possible, it's possible for someone to react in a clever way. Yeah. <laughs> like what no, if, I, I, I shouldn't how say that. Movie, People work how hard. How would the movie have turned out if the puppet hadn't worked like in Jaws and they had to just not show Gnorm? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we put off showing Norm as long as possible in the script. Like we, we kind of, you know, that's a, that's a standard way to approach it. You know, your character, you want to mm -hmm. uh, have yeah. that Indiana Jones reveal. So mm -hmm. 
we, 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 he was, you know, we don't see him in the, in the, yeah, it I is, <laughs> it is ironic that we're arguing in favor of, uh, of practical effects on the gnome name norm episode. It's a slender read. Argument it's a slender against, read to, to hold this argument. Yeah. Argument against the. <laughs> well, the special edition, the 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 yeah, the the legacy effects will come and come and save this movie <laughs> with post production uh, digital <laughs> effects. You hand it to George stamp. Lucas, and it's the same movie, but there's little robots flying around in the foreground and background yep. <laughs> throughout. And he's like, "There, I fixed your movie." I noticed you didn't put any yeah, little robots around. More stormtroopers in the back. <laughs> I noticed there was a scene where a character was doing something really cool, so I had a Ronto walk in front of it <laughs> in the middle of the scene. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm noticing what time it is, so we should probably uh, wrap Let up. Let me the see. Most... Oh, it's Norm time. That's right. Norm, We've got another guest with us. Yeah. The gnome himself. That would be incredible. Parker, I, I, I interrupted you. Is, was there something, last thing you wanted to say? And also, is there a plug? I was, wanna... I was stumbling toward a conclusion and I didn't reach it. So let's, let's just, uh, let's just leave it. <laughs> I think guys, thanks think, so much. This has been an amazing episode of the Peach Pit Pocket Edition, focusing on a Flophouse Mini where we talked <laughs> at length about a gnome named Norm, a movie that at the time we had not watched. And it's so exciting <laughs> that I had two of them, a uh, host of the Flophouse and Parker Bennett. You've been such a treat tonight. Yeah, I tried uh, to ask for plugs. Does he have plugs of any kind? Uh well, I will mention uh uh, like I did last time, my screenwriting partner who died, Terry Runte, uh, there's a site up that I uh, tell the story of a gnome named Norm a little in, a bit in more detail and about Super Mario Brothers and some of our other adventures in 90s Hollywood land uh, at terryrunte.com, uh, T-E-R-R-Y-R-U-N-T-E.com. So go That's over great. there and yes. learn about Terry. Please check it out. Uh, Stuart, continue wrapping us up. So this, uh, this podcast is, uh, is temporarily on the Max Fun Network. Um, what? And, uh, <laughs> what do you know I'm talking we, about, we don't I'm do. talking about the Peach Pit is, is a one-time oh, thing. Normally the Flophouse is on here all the oh, time. Oh, I, I forgot, I forgot that, yeah, the Peach Pit got purchased by Gimlet, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Did we lose the fun from Maximum? Yep, it's just Maximum. Uh, it's... <laughs> So we, uh, I want to thank. It's actually now called Maximum Bob, based on a novel by James Elroy. Oh, no, sorry, by 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 uh, Elroy Leonard. Leonard. By Elroy Leonard. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Elmore. 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 Oh yeah. Mm. I, look, it's late for me too. I apologize. I was thinking of Elroy Leonard was, of course, the son on the Jetsons. Mm -hmm. And of course, James Elroy. It all, it, you know. And James this, Patterson. Yeah. So I also would like to thank our <laughs> Wait, producer, James Patterson, because he's your favorite author. <laughs> well, I like this. I like the school of James Patterson. When you buy when you buy a book by him and it says attributed to the school of James Patterson because mm -hmm. they don't know which yeah. of his apprentices wrote it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I would like to thank our producer, <laughs> Alexander Smith, also known as Howell Doughty. Uh, don't Elroy forget there's Dottie. a, there's a, uh, a hot contest going on to make a video out of our little music song. Um, I've been Stuart Wellington. <laughs> I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Elroy Kalen, and joining us has been... Parker Bennett. We did it! Hooray! <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist-owned. Audience-supported.